when we're reading the scriptures, we're reading Mediterranean Middle East literature. With the exception of Paul. Paul is, uh, while he is Mediterranean, he's Greek in origin, which makes him a lot different than, say, the apostles who are all from the Galilee area and others. Mediterranean Middle Eastern literature is quite different from our Western literature. And therefore, it sometimes is a little hard to grasp some things. Uh, In our Western world, we tend to take all things fairly literally. But in Mediterranean Middle East literature, then and today, they rely heavily on metaphors, similes, parables, and, and so when we read the scriptures and we want to do a deep dive into them, we have to familiarize ourselves with how metaphors work, how parables work, how, even how satire works, because that's all in here. When we read from the book of the prophet Jonah, we think about Jonah being you know, swallowed by a fish and later being thrown up on the shore. Jonah was never intended to be taken factually or literally. This never happened. It's a parable. It's a parable. And the whole purpose of a parable in literature is to destroy something we have commonly accepted as true so that something else can replace it. All the authentic parables of Jesus do that. There's always something in his parables that is not true. Now, when I say not true, everybody knows it's not true. They know it's a parable. So nobody's getting, you know, freaked out by the fact that he's making this up. You know, maybe we're not supposed to believe it. Well, yeah, he is making it up. And yes, we are supposed to believe it. Because when Jesus tells a parable, he wants us to see things differently than other people have seen the same reality. And that's exactly what's going on in this story of Jonah, this great parable. You know, I watch all these shows, I'm such a nerd, you know, History Channel and Science Channel and this channel and that channel. You know, and I get really tickled, I almost can't watch them when they work so hard to figure out, well, what kind of fish could do this? How long could a person survive in the belly of a whale? And wow, what a waste of time and intellect. Because it was no fish. Remember, this is a parable. And And it uses, in the parable, it uses a lot of metaphor. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria was probably one of the most brutal empires there were in terms of their conquest of other countries. I mean, they believed in scorched earth. People were just wiped out uh, or taken off into uh, imprisonment or into slavery when they conquered a country. They were truly viewed as being evil. And eventually, Assyria will take over the northern kingdom of Israel. In the time of David, after David, there's a civil war that breaks out, actually after his son, uh, Solomon. But it, it splits into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And it'll be from Judah, the southern kingdom, where Jesus will come from. But Assyria conquers that northern kingdom. It was very wealthy. It had great land. Uh, you know, it was the breadbasket uh, of the Middle East. Assyria wanted it. Assyria took it. <laughs> 
You know, when we talk about the lost tribes of Israel, we're talking about that very conquest of Assyria, where all of the tribes that had existed in the northern kingdom ceased to exist. Now, the story of Nineveh, uh, the story of Jonah is not written to somewhere like 300 years later because ultimately Assyria is overtaken by Babylon. And then Babylon conquers Judah and it takes all able-bodied people, intelligentsia, takes them off into exile into Babylon to serve the needs in Babylon. But then... Babylon itself is conquered by Persia. Uh, and the Persians send the, the Israelites, the Jews, back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. And this story doesn't come to exist until after those moments. Now, one of the things that had developed in Jewish society was an intense dislike and distrust of outsiders. You were either a Jew or you were not. They did not welcome uh, people into their Jewish communities. They, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, how horribly Assyria treated the northern kingdom when it conquered it, and then in the southern kingdom being taken off into exile, they just had this huge mistrust, if not outright hate, for people that are not us. Now, Nineveh began to be a metaphor for all things evil and bad. Now, if a parent wanted to make a child behave, you know, the exile's over, they're all back. And so we know well that parents would use Nineveh sort of as a threat. Um, you know, the little folks, they didn't know Nineveh didn't exist anymore. They just knew it was a terrible, horrible place. And so parents would say, if you don't straight out, straighten up, young man, I'm putting you on the bus to Nineveh. That was the parents' threat to send their children to Nineveh if they didn't behave, even though it didn't exist, but they didn't know that. So we get this parable of this place in memory is seen as absolute evil, and they absolutely hated it. And in the parable, what happens? God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and begin to preach reformation. They could not comprehend God doing that. They had harmed God's people. There's no way God would want this to happen. There's no way God would let this happen. You know, so they, they dug in, you know, not just, you know, about the outsiders. And Nineveh was the ultimate outsider. And how in this story, in, in the context of the story, would God ask Jonah to go, seek the reformation of Nineveh. In their minds, this isn't true. Jonah goes. But Jonah is hoping that God will destroy Nineveh. Jonah wants to see fire come down from the skies. You know, he wants to see a Sodom and Gomorrah event where everything is wiped out, and he is so looking forward to it. And then lo and behold, in the context of the story, they reform, and God forgives them, and God takes them to himself. And Jonah is furious. He wanted to see blood spilled, but he didn't get it. It forced Jonah 
and all of Israel, this parable, to look at God in a new and a different way. God had this reputation of being vengeful, of getting even with other countries, um, of looking out for his people, you know, so a little bit of the reputation that God had as the Israelites looked at his involvement in their lives. But now they're being told that, no, their way of looking God may not be right. God is not a God of revenge. God is not a God of vengeance. Our God is a God that wants us all to reform and live with him in the kingdom. Now, will everybody reform? Will everybody live a life deserving of the kingdom? No. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want that. And it's hard for us to accept an all-forgiving God. Because in our culture, we buy into the whole notion of revenge and forgiveness. Of everybody needs to get what they deserve. You know, people, a lot of times, I thoroughly enjoy watching violent movies. Sorry. And people say, why do you like it so much? I said, because the good guy can go and wreak havoc, and we can't do that in real life. Makes you feel good to see the bad guy getting it. But we know we can't live that way, and we better not live that way. But we are people that have a difficult time accepting a God that absolutely forgives. You know, we're the only Western country in the world that still has the death penalty. Only one. You know, it's like, what's going on that nobody else has it anymore except us? I've used this before. If you've heard me say this, pardon me for repeating it, I only have so many real-life stories. (laughs) It was a prisoner due to be executed uh, at Riverbend Prison. I had been asked a week or two before to go hear the man's confession, and I did. The night came for him to be executed, and I stood outside the prison, Now, I really was trying hard not to necessarily be identified with protesters, either for or against. I was there to pray for this man about to be executed. And this woman began going on and on and on about how she hoped that the execution went wrong and he had to suffer. You know, she wanted to make sure those drugs burned him from the inside out. I mean, it was an incredible anger. It had been her grandson that he had murdered. I understand the anger. I get it. And understand how we can kind of go over the top when we're trying to describe our anger. Somebody said to her, but ma'am, what if God forgave him? What's going to happen? If God forgives him and he goes to heaven, what about that? And she said, if that man goes to heaven, I'd rather go to hell. I said, well, pack your bags. <laughs> but that's a way of saying how, you know, and again, I don't judge her. I have no idea what it's like to have a family member murdered. I don't know how that feels. So I don't judge her. And I understand anger. But we're called to live a different way. 
You know, and this isn't a pro-anti-capital punishment kind of thing. It's just we're called to look for people to reform their lives, not to destroy them. And that's what Jonah tells us, that whole book, that work with God to bring people to God, even the worst of us. You know, if we succeed, good, star in our crown in heaven. And if we don't succeed, it's on them, not on us. Our job is to bring people to God as best we can and to let judgment and revenge or vengeance leave all that to God. Leave all that to God. If we can give up a little bit of our anger and hate, we will feel so much better.